Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, happy Friday, everybody. What's happening? It is Friday, November 17th, and yes, you're tuned in for another episode with us. You are. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> Jinx. Give me my Coke, man. I want uh, a Coke Zero. We don't script this, so that was uh, that was totally a god I thing. want my Coke Zero. It was a GT, uh, GT3. Actually, I'd prefer a coffee. Uh, 1418. We, we can do that. I got you. Okay. Yep. In fact, later on today, since it's Friday. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, in that case, I'm going to go big. I want a latte. Okay. We'll make it happen. Yeah, I, we go to 1418 each Friday for our, our pastor's meeting and uh, spend some time there in the afternoon together. Yeah, I had their, their sweater weather latte the other day, which uh, <laughs> was not good. Their autumn spice is good. So they're, it's whatever that is. It's sweater weather latte? Yeah, it's like some apple pear espresso drink or whatever. And it was fine initially, but then like there was, I don't know if it was apple pulp or pear pulp in the latte. So it just, you're, you're, you're chewing your, your drink after a while. And it's like, this is not, this, this is not tasty. That's interesting. This is not good. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we do that each Friday and, uh, we've also got our, uh, our staff lunch today. We once a month go out as a staff and have lunch together just to, for bonding and unity and everything else like that too. So that's exciting to, uh, to look forward to. And corporate rebuke. Every one of us will bring something that we want to rebuke the other person about. <laughs> And we lay it's, it on the table. It's like the white elephant gift exchange, except it's just rebuke. Like, <laughs> okay, who's first? You're number one. All right. Yeah. And then you can steal somebody else's rebuke if you feel like it's less than you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Have you planned any white elephant gift exchanges yet for this Christmas season? You know what? It's refreshingly no. Yeah, right? <laughs> I've been like, hey, I don't have any white elephants on my calendar. At least not yet. There's a We, we have a student ministry slash worship ministry party. Um planned in December, which may turn into that. Yeah. Sock exchanges are always good though, too. I don't know. Cause it really depends on the quality of the sock. And some people just bring like the six pack of the Walmart stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, that's nice. Yeah. They missed the point. Exactly. They're doing it wrong. Exactly. Which puts the onus on you as the organizer to say, Hey, this is a sock this exchange. Is, this is the kind of sock we're looking for. Right. Nobody Cashmere. needs Fruit of the Loom or Hanes. Like we're not, we're not, we're not after that. Yeah. Well, and that's why I have just decided in years past, I'm just going to bring the socks myself. It's going to be a ministry gift. To everybody then, on the team. And then everyone gets a nice pair of socks. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, hey, let's jump into our text. Ezekiel chapter 16. Only one chapter in Ezekiel today. Only one. Yeah. It's a little bit of a long chapter, but only one. And then, thick uh, chapter. yeah, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, also a thick chapter. Not necessarily verse-wise, but just content-wise. Yeah. So. That's good. Hey, Ezekiel 16, uh, coming off of some pretty intense chapters in chapter 14 and 15, focused on the judgment that God was going to bring against Israel. You remember we're on the backside now of the temple vision, the, the glory of the Lord has departed from the temple. Uh, chapter 16 is another parable, and this time it is uh, very, uh, how do we say it? I guess explicit would be the only way to put it. Uh, comparing Israel to a faithless bride. And that's what the ESV title is there. But this is uh, 
this is quite descriptive. And, and this is one of those chapters, parents, for you to, to be careful about. Maybe your, your kiddos reading this one or reading this with your kiddos. Uh, there are a lot of words in here that, that they may have questions about. Uh, but uh, essentially, uh, in this chapter, God takes Israel from its formation. It also gets worse, by the way, just so you know. It does get <laughs> it worse. It doesn't get better. It doesn't. That's <laughs> this true. Is, this is your introduction into this. Right. It doesn't get better. Right. Yeah, there's chapters down the road. Yeah. Yeah, Ohola and Oholiba. Yeah, once yeah. we get to there. Yeah. Anyways, chapter 16, God basically takes Israel from her infancy all the way, uh, tracing her as a, a growing woman to that age of maturity where she would be eligible to be married and talks about how he betrothed her to himself after caring for her, forming her from, from uh, the ground up, takes her to himself, and then her faithlessness, her adultery that she commits with idols and other nations and other gods, um, spurning his grace and his mercy, and, and even to the point of, of, of sacrificing her children to these false gods. Um, the god of Molech was the, the god behind that. And, uh, and then it basically says, hey, look, you've forgotten me in all of these things. And in verse 22, in, in all of your abominations and your unfaithfulness, I'll, I'll clean up the word there, parents, in case you got young ones listening, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked and bare wallowing there in your, your blood. Um, again, a, a reference to Israel as a, a, a newly born child, dependent upon the Lord for her very identity. Before God formed Israel, Israel didn't exist. And she had been nothing but faithless to him. And it was an internal faithless. It was a deep-seated faithlessness. It was verse 30, how sick is your heart, God asked. And he says, you're not even like the the, the normal um, women of the night, to put it that way, uh, because you, in your faithlessness, you pay for your faithfulness. faithlessness. It's not like you're getting any benefit from this. You're just offering yourself for free to anyone in, in any other God in any other nation out there. And God is really uh, quite disgusted with Israel to the point where the climax and the culmination of this chapter is him comparing Israel to Sodom, saying, Israel, you are even worse. You're worse than Sodom. Uh, you are worse than Samaria, the, the, your sister to the north. You have, have taken their sin and exceeded it all the more. So I, when I read stuff like this, I'm often challenged personally, just thinking, okay, this is, this is graphic. It's shock and awe. <sighs> what do I do with this? I, I, I wouldn't have my kids typically read something like this. And I even noticed that in the ESV, sometimes we'll use verbiage that is meant to soften some of the stronger language. And I, and I think, okay, am I, am I doing a disservice to myself when I, uh, when I don't allow the full force of what God's trying to do to hit my heart? And I think, I think this is partly why God does this and says this through Ezekiel's pen and through his lips, because he is trying to shock them into awareness. It's like when you have a dead body on the floor, or at least someone who's recently dead, um, you apply brute force to their body in the form of chest compressions to, to try to awaken their heart. And it's, it's pretty nasty. I mean, what we, we remember the, what it looks like to have somebody uh, have their body be lifeless and uh, apply a mechanism to their body, shock or, or compressions that really, it's violent to the body. In fact, when you're applying chest compressions, I, 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 you might actually break their bones in order to, to save their life. I think this is similar to what God is doing with his people. This is, this is strong language, to put it mildly, and I think the intention is for us to, to be shocked back into, oh yeah, I 
yeah, you're right. This is this is egregious. This is awful. I can't believe that this is being committed. So as, as hard as this is to read through, and again, it's going to get worse before it gets better. It will get better in this chapter. Thankfully, it ends on a high note. But when we read this, I, I, I'd hate to... I'd hate to have you remove yourself from the the discomfort that you'll feel as you read it too quickly. I would encourage you to let yourself feel the the weight of this. And remember, when you sin against God, there is a very real sense in which you grieve the Holy Spirit as well. Maybe it's not to the same degree as Israel and and her sister Sodom, but it, it, it's, a, it's a similar sense. So our sin offends God. Our sin hurts God. And it would be good of us to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, uh, this weekend in our Sunday services, we're going to be focused, or service, I guess, uh, we're going to be focused on that Prophecy. concept. Yeah, concept of uh, of what we do with our sin. And, uh, and Jesus in John 4 pulls the curtain back on this woman's life and her sinfulness there. And uh, oftentimes God will do that in our lives through conviction as we read the scripture or through somebody else who graciously comes alongside us and calls us out on sin. And and, and to your point, Pastor Rod, I think it's helpful for us to, to not brush it off because our first response is going to be to look to justify or to soften or to cleanse or to to uh, to sterilize it some way to make it not that big of a deal. But it is a big deal. And I think yeah. you're right. I think that's a lot of what God is doing here with with the people of Israel and trying to show them sin is a big deal and your your faithlessness may seem small when you go to 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 worship the Baals and things like that but then you you need to know what what you're doing in in the big picture and what it actually yeah, looks like um but to your point as well that it does end on a, a a good note which is it just seems out of place it just seems like mm-hmm. and and yet God is reminding the people it's not just about the then and there but about or about the here and now but about the then and there there, there's a future and he's going to have this remnant and he's going to preserve them. He still has this covenant uh, that he is going to remember with them. And he's going to establish that covenant with them. Verse 62, that they shall know that I'm the Lord. Most of the other places, if not all of them at this point, that phrase has followed declarations of his judgment. You shall know that I am the Lord here. It's a, a, a promise of a future wherein they will know, we will know along with Israel, that he is the Lord because he will be faithful to fulfill this covenant promise to Israel. And, uh, and notice in verse 63, atone for you for all that you have done. And so this is a, a, still a, a reminder of the weightiness. And I think it's, it's helpful on the heels of such a heavy passage before this to be reminded that our sins need to be atoned for. This is not just God saying, I'm going to snap my fingers and everything's going to be good. But this is saying, no, your sins, I'm going to atone for your sin. And that's how I'm going to be faithful to this covenant in the future. Indeed. Well, let's uh, turn over to our New Testament. And that is going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. We get the whole chapter today. Oh, right. Not just uh, 12, like one through four. So (laughs) So nice of these Bible program reader people. Just thankful for that. Guys. It's mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 12 um, is uh, so many good uh, concepts come out in in chapter 12, uh, coming right off the Hall of Faith chapter, and that informs that transition there in 12.1. Therefore, he's connecting it back to chapter 11, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I want to just call out that word witnesses for a second there, because he's going to talk about us running a race. And when you typically think of witnesses at a race, they're there to witness the racer. They're there to witness the athlete. They're there to, to, to be impressed by the one on the track. That's not how he's using the term witnesses here. These are witnesses, those that are meant to point us to 
Christ. They are witnessing about Jesus, not witnessing our feats, but they are witnesses of his feet. They are those that have already finished their race that are saying, keep going, keep pressing on, fix your eyes on Christ. He's finished the race. He's gone before you. That's, they're there to encourage us, not to cheer us, so to speak, um, in the sense that they're not impressed by our feats. They're there to, to, to motivate us and to witness to the fact that Christ has already done this and we can fix our eyes on him. Let's run after him. And so in other words, these witnesses are there not to be impressed by us, but they're there to impress us with Christ as we run this race in his faithfulness. Yeah, I love that line right there, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And I think I preached on this passage, I don't know, three or four, maybe five times in my time at Compass. Uh, at least one of those times we're in Guatemala because I just love this section so much. It's so rich. It has so much value for us as Christians. One of the things that I, I, I love to point out to point to in particular is the fact that sin clings closely. Mm. It's the sense of sin being passive and not active. It actively works against us. It actively uh, seeks to deceive and contort us, which is why we have to be so vigilant, referring back to some of our prior reading, to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Uh, because this sin has a way of deceiving us and it's it's an active force in our lives. What's the, what's the solution? keep our eyes on Jesus. We're looking to him. As we look to him, cast off what what sinful things weigh us down, we're able to run effectively. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't just talk about sin there, but also the weights. And that's a a distinction there that I think is important because there are some things, Christian, in your life that aren't necessarily inherently sinful, but that may be a weight impeding your progress and your growth in Christlikeness. And so for some people, they may be able to have that item in their life or that show in their life or that whatever it may be. And it's not sinful for them uh, because it's it's not a snare for them. But for you, it is. Hey. Dallas Cowboys or you know. <laughs> maybe the Cowboys, not so much the Rangers. The they came through for me, man. The they, Sharks. The Rangers are sanctifying me. <laughs> yeah, no, but uh, but these are, are just a reminder that there there are impediments to our sanctification that that may be sin for us that aren't sin for other people that we need to be aware of and, and mindful of. Um, we we talk about them as gray areas a lot within the church. There are things that are are gray areas that someone might say, you know, what this is a particular foothold for me. And so for me, this is a weight that I need to get rid of So I, as I run my race. But for someone else, it may not be that same weight for them. They may have something else that you don't struggle with. Uh, and so that's an, an important distinction there to, to, to take note of. Highlights the value of the race itself. It's worth casting off things for yep. to run light in order to run well. Yep. Yep. As he goes on, he talks about discipline and quotes from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 there about the discipline of the Lord and points to the discipline of God in our lives as evidence that we belong to him because every father disciplines the child that he loves. And he makes the point there that he disciplines us for our good, he says in verse 10, that we may share his holiness. There's a future and present uh, element to that. And he's disciplining us that we may share his holiness in the sense that this is one of the preservative elements of our being saved and, and ultimately being delivered into glory is he's disciplining us to kind of keep us on the course, so to speak, and make sure that we don't drift so that we will share his ultimate holiness. But in so doing, he's also disciplining us so that we presently will share in his holiness so that we will see more Christ likeness in our lives and less sin in our lives. And so discipline is a good thing. It's something for us that we, uh, as the text is evident, as the text are, or rather is clear to say, we don't like it. It's not something that we love that we're like, yes, may I have some more, please. Uh, but it's, it's mm-hmm. something that we should welcome because it is the sanctifying presence of God at work in our lives that gives us that assurance that we belong to him. 
So one thing that I, I read recently that really added some light to, to this passage for me, and this is not specifically related to what the author is saying, although it's uh, incidental to what he's saying, it's meaningful to us as parents. Verse 10, uh, they, the fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them as it seemed best to them. Uh, that little phrase tells us that parenting and even disciplinary parenting is imperfect and incomplete. We discipline fathers, mothers, we discipline as it seems best to us, but the tacit acknowledgement here is that our discipline is as it seems best to us, which suggests we may not do it well. We, we may miss the mark in our, our parenting, we miss the mark in our discipline, and, and that's... Uh, I don't want to say that's okay, as in as in God's okay with us missing the mark, but it's okay in the sense that God recognizes we are short-sighted. We don't have the whole picture, but we're going to do it as it seems best to us, which acknowledges the fact that we need help in our parenting. We need help from God to enable us to discipline well. We discipline as it seems best to us while trusting God to use our efforts to help our kids. Yeah. A couple of interpretive notes on this chapter. You'll uh, notice the name Esau there connected to a statement about sexual immorality. No one who is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Now, you may be racking your bearing going back to the Old Testament saying, wait a minute, where did that take place? I remember the story of Jacob and Esau, but where did sexual immorality factor into that? And his point is not so much uh, the, the sin of sexual immorality as much as what our undisciplined desires and fleshly appetites will cause us to do. And so he's pointing out Esau because Esau's lust for food, if I can put it that way, led him to sacrifice his birthright. And then the the chilling thing is when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected and he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Uh, so the the warning there is, hey, don't don't act on your gut. Don't let your God be your, your belly, so to speak, um, such that it would lead you to make decisions to sacrifice on the altar of the immediate, your eternity, uh, such that when it finally comes to, to, to light, it's, it's too late for you because you've been turned over or you're part of that Hebrew six crowd where it's impossible to renew that person to a state of repentance. So that's what that's talking about with Esau. And then when you flip over, uh, well, at least in my Bible, when I flip to the next page, scroll over, uh, yeah, scroll down, scroll over, um, Verse 24, it talks about the mediator of the new covenant, that being Jesus, whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Uh, the blood of Abel is the, the first blood ever spilt, right? The the blood of Abel was was spilt by his brother Cain. Uh, Abel offered a sacrifice more pleasing to God than Cain's. Cain's rose, Cain rose up in jealousy and, and killed Abel. The blood of Abel, as God would even say there in the Genesis account, was crying out to him from the ground. Now, what was it crying out? It was crying out for justice. And that's why the blood of the covenant in Christ speaks a better word because the blood of Jesus it does speak justice because God is a just God. But for us, the more significant thing that it speaks for us is forgiveness. Justice satisfied. Justice satisfied. Grace, right? All of that. That is why the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel simply called for justice to be done. The blood of Jesus says justice has been done and you are now forgiven. And so that's such a great encouragement to us as we run our race with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen to that. Well, hey, we'll catch you again tomorrow on Saturday for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Until then, hope you have a great Friday. See y'all. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org, and we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast.